You are listening to the Hinge Work Podcast, a conversation on perspective, rest, and creativity from the overflow of our community. Welcome to the Hinge Work Podcast. We are live-ish from Heather and Mark's living room. Welcome. Boom, 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 boom. Hey. Are you going to make a noise for us? No, that's fine. <laughs> Hi. Uh, Nothing so, like an awkward mistimed. Church mouse. Hey. Hi. Hey. <laughs> church mouse. <laughs> great. Um, so, yeah, Mark, I feel like you have a pretty sweet story to share yeah. with us. Yeah. So, one of the things we want to kind of do with the podcast is kind of invite you guys into what we're walking out or what we're experiencing or some of the stories from our the pages of our journal uh, and what what we're being walked through in life. And so this year, a lot of my journal has been about overcoming the fear of repeating a previous hard season in life. And so in March, my grandfather passed away. Uh, my father's dad, we called him Pappy Buckwater. Uh, he raised his family on the same farm that I grew up on. And when he was done farming and my dad took over the farm, they built a house at the top of the hill overlooking the farm. And, uh, they built that because his youngest son had broken his neck in a diving accident and they built the pool as a way to help him recover. Uh, my uncle ended up moving to California. And so we ended up being <laughs> the beneficiaries of a nice in-ground swimming pool with a diving board. And we would get done working on the farm and ride our bikes up to grandma's house and go swimming and a great relationship with those guys. Even when I was in college and loaded trucks, three 30 to midnight, I would call my mom, my grandmother at like 10 o'clock break and be like, Hey grandma, it's okay. If we come over tonight and go swimming, and the pool was literally right outside of their window. And so it, at like 12, 15 or 12 30, she would just hear us cannonballing into the pool and taking a swim on hot summer nights and stuff. So we had a cool relationship with them. I knew they loved me. I was surprised by how much my grandfather's passing really affected me emotionally just because our relationship was great. They had had a great run. You know, they had just celebrated in February, 94 years, both had their 94th birthdays and celebrated 74 years of being married, you know, which is just to me incredible. You know, I don't know what percentage of the population ends up celebrating 74 years of marriage together, but I I imagine it's probably less than 1%. I mean, it's... That's just an incredible run and incredible legacy. The week that he passed away, yeah, it just really started kind of um, messing with me. And I was definitely grieving much more intensely than I thought I would. And so as I prepared for the funeral, I was pulling together photos. The family had sent me photos and I was creating a slideshow that would play at the at the uh, funeral, the memorial service. And I was thinking back on his life. He grew up on a farm. Um, the Buckwater family came from Switzerland in 1730. Theodorus was deeded 900 acres in Lancaster by William Penn's sons. And um, my grandfather grew up on a farm that was part of that original track. And when he was 10 years old, his father died. And this is 1935, you know, in the midst of the Great Depression. There had been a farm accident. He had gotten hit on the head had had somewhat of a recovery, went to Temple University in Philadelphia, had world-class doctors working on him, came home from that surgery. They had removed a tumor and they had their dad back for like three months. You know, he was working on a farm. He was normal. And then uh, dizzy spells came back and uh, he went in for another surgery and ended up uh, being incapacitated and never really walking again after that point. And so he came home and 
to Lancaster and was was bedridden for the last uh, couple of months of his life. But during that time, my great grandfather, uh, my pappy's dad, he got to a place of peace with the Lord that he was willing to die or had was just like, Lord, I'm ready to die. But I have six kids. Um, his youngest daughter was born just a couple weeks before he died. He said, Lord, I don't know. It's the middle of this financial struggle and I have six kids. I need them to be taken care of. So I can't die. I don't know. I'm ready to meet you, but yet I can't die. And we found out recently, we found this recorded, uh, written out. He, the Lord appeared to him and said, do not be afraid. I will always take care of your family. So my great grandmother was able to raise the family on the farm. They didn't have to farm out any of the kids. The family was able to stay together. And my grandfather grew up, you know, he grew up without a dad, but the family was healthy and everybody flourished. And my great grandmother raised her kids on the farm. And then um, she sold the farm, really just had a passion for African-American community in Lancaster City. So she moved into Lancaster City and really gave her life to, I think it was the seventh ward, helped to establish um, South Christian Street Mennonite Church, which is now Crossroads Mennonite Church, and really an incredible woman of faith. I just found an article about her. My brother actually found it from 1981, and it was just, it was in the Lancaster paper. And it was saying that she estimated she had babysat 1,100 different children in that part of the city. Um, she started every day praying for every one of her descendants by name. And there were uh, 60 biological, that's not counting husbands and wives, etc. You know, as someone who has five uh, at this point descendants, and I'm sure certain days fail to pray for each of them by name, the idea of someone <laughs> praying for every one of 60 by name every single day is kind of astounding, but mm. it's pretty cool. Periodically, my brother, myself will bump into someone still. I mean, she died, I think when I was in second grade, periodically, my brother, I'd be out in the city and we'll still bump into someone who was impacted by, by this woman and knew her by name and just says Martha. And so my brother is famous to tell the story. This happened in like 2002. He was walking down the street. They were outside of a church. There was a couple of African-American women, I think in their thirties or forties walking down the street and they were walking past this Mennonite church and they looked up and my brother was listening to their conversation. They said, Oh, look at that Mennonite church. Remember that Mennonite woman who used to come to us and she taught us how to can and she would babysit for us. And she just loved us. Do you remember her? And my brother says, you know, I was listening to him. And I turned to my wife and said, they're talking about my great grandmother. I know it. And Naomi was like, come on, dude, like really, like everything's not about you, whatever. And he said, no, I know they are. I'm going to go talk to him. So he walks up and introduces himself to these women. And he says, I'm at Buckwalter. And they said, Buckwalter, did you know Martha? And, um, Right away. He says, yeah, that was my great grandmother. And they just went on about how she loved them, cared for their children um, and would come. And she would always come and say, come to Bible club, come to Bible club. Come on, get your kids. We're coming to Bible club. And so the woman made a dramatic impact. You know, she raised her family without her husband. She moved into Lancaster City. She made an impact on that community. She loved God. So as my grandfather passed, I was thinking through all these things and thinking about his life and just that promise that was made to his dad, that his children will be cared for. 
So as I'm looking through these old photos, I was photographing them at Hingework. I come across one, and my dad says, yeah, that was two months after he lost his dad. And it's, it's the six kids, you know, and my grandfather was pretty much exactly Hopi's age when that happened. And, and so he's got you know, his little baby sister there too. And I'm just like trying to imagine what was going on inside his head at 10 years old, trying to smile for this photo, feeling like, you know, there's this hole in his heart from his daddy not being there. It's just kind of like made me thinking about the faithfulness of God to get him through that. And because he wasn't a bitter man at all. He's super gentle. My memories of my grandfather, you know, he would come down and play basketball with Matt and I. We wouldn't take it easy on him because he was 60. We didn't get that concept. We thought everybody's grandfather at 60 comes and plays basketball with him. Now I'm like, man, that was a pretty rare treat to have in life, to have him come work with us and, and play with us and stuff. So I'm anyway, I'm I'm thinking throughout that that weekend getting ready for the memorial service about all these stories about his life and my great grandmother's life and the legacy that we have. And as the funeral approached, I felt like the story I was blessed to share and I it was such an honor to share this story of the last my last visit with him was what was coming to my mind. And so I had gone to see him that day and he had had a stroke. And sometimes he would know people, sometimes he wouldn't. So I really wasn't anticipating much. I thought I would just say hi and move on. And I got there and we start talking. I, and he's very with this. I asking him about his childhood. And he's like, he's like, you know, I love to play basketball. And um, you remember, he said, do you remember that peach basket we had, you know, nailed up to the barn. And I was like, well, I, I never, that barn was torn down before I was born. Baby. I don't, I don't remember that at all, but it's interesting. You love to play basketball because I love to play basketball too. I, I was better at soccer and better at baseball, but basketball was my favorite sport to play. But, you know, and he goes, yeah, you had some really sharp hits when you played baseball, which seemed super odd to me because it seemed like he was recalling something really specific. And I was like, Pappy, what, were you recalling a specific memory when you said about my sharp hits? He said, yeah, there was a game um, in Bearville. And when he said that, my brain almost snapped because my whole career of, of baseball from the time I was in second grade until the time I was whatever, 27 years old and stopped playing rec league, there was exactly one game that I hit two home runs and it was in Bearville. And I would have been willing to bet that no one on the planet other than my twin brother remembered that fact. And so he said there was a game in Bearville. And I said, yeah, it was, it was right behind Bearville Furniture. And he said, no, it was right behind Bearville Fire Company. And I just laughed because he was right. And um, I had gone there thinking he wouldn't even remember my name. And he began to tell me about the way my coach was riding the umpire that day and who was pitching and how awesome it was to watch me hit those two home runs. And I sat there and I was just absolutely flabbergasted that I had gone thinking, I hope maybe he knows my name. Not only did he remember my name, but he presented to me one of my best childhood memories that I didn't even think anybody in the world would have remembered. And so that was the story that I shared at his funeral. And I was also photographing um, the day of the funeral and I 
was making my way around as people were telling stories and just photographing some of the emotion and just the honor that was being released. And the pastor who was doing the service started talking and he said he was he was sharing about how much my grandfather loved. And he's like, I want to share this next story. Where's Mark at? Mark used to photograph. I used to photograph at the community that my grandparents lived in quite a bit. And um, the one they used to raise me up every year. There was a marathon that was held there, and um, my job was to photograph it. And so, at the beginning of the race, they would put me like thirty or forty feet up in a lift to photograph the beginning of the race. And so, um, it was this pastor. Somehow, it fell to the chaplain to be the one operating the lift the one year. And so, he starts telling the story of how he was gently putting me up in the lift and. Uh, I said, well, that's, it's your lie. You can tell it how you want. Cause I was definitely not feeling like I would gently put up. It was definitely like, you could tell he didn't operate the lift every day, but I was bouncing around. And anyway, he's telling the story of how he's putting me up in this lift. And it happened to be right outside of my grandparents, uh, third floor balcony. Um, and he said, I was trying to gently raise Mark up in this lift. And I hear a voice behind me and it said, please be very, very careful the young man that you have in that lift is precious to me. And he said, I turn around and, and Richard and Sarah were sitting there laughing. He said they were laughing, but it was very plain to me that this man cherished the grandson that I was lifting up in the air. And so I'm sitting there photo trying to photograph. And I had no idea that this would happen and, and uh, that, that he would share the story of my grandfather's love for me. And so I was pretty undone by that. And so the funeral, the memorial service was going on. It's just this incredible celebration of this side of our inheritance and this legacy of love and people who've been cared for and love Jesus. And then my brother starts sharing um, and he starts sharing stories about my great grandmother again and how they survived this tragedy of losing their dad and yet the family stayed together and then she moved into the city and he shared the story about meeting those women you know 30 years after her death who were still talking about how she loved and then he said maybe some of you are wondering why i'm even sharing these stories today and he said this morning i was in harrisburg and uh, i was at the church that i go to and periodically i meet with a counselor there who helps me get things untangled and and today, the day of this funeral, she happened to ask me, tell me about your legacy, your family. Where do you come from? And he said, it's interesting. You ask, <clears throat> we're, we're going to bury my grandfather and uh, have his memorial service today. And so he began to tell these stories to her about my great grandmother. He finished one story and he said, my counselor looked at me with really wide eyes. And she said, you're going to, you're going to think I'm crazy. And he said, what's going on? And she said, well, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine came to me and said, uh, dear friend of mine, um, I think it was actually her aunt, uh, was passing. She was not doing well. She said, can you come to Lancaster please and pray with this woman? And she, she said, so I went to pray with this old woman and I began to pray for her and she raised her head and she looked into my eyes and she just kept looking at my eyes. And she said to me, your eyes, your eyes, like surely, you know, Martha, surely, you know, Mrs. Buckwater, 
Surely, you know, Miss Buckwater, I can see it in your eyes. And my brother went on to just say four hours before I'm supposed to be standing up here and preaching and sharing at this funeral, God drops this little love note in my lap from Harrisburg about this woman who had encountered yet another woman who just saw the love of God in my great grandmother's eyes. And as I'm sitting there listening to these stories at my grandfather's funeral, it's wrecking my heart, not just because of how grateful I am for this, but because of how often I worry about, is there going to be enough? Is there going to be enough of them? Ultimately the fear is like, well, I guess I'm just going to die if I don't have enough money. And just, I think of that promise that was given to my great grandfather on his deathbed and how here my grandfather is, he's given through all these hardships in life, losing his father, his son when he's 16, losing the ability to walk. And yet the legacy of his life and his love is what my uncle said, which is he broke his neck in a diving accident. He's in traction. He spent 365 days in the hospital. And his testimony of my grandfather and grandmother was they milked the cows every day and they drove an hour to E-Town to come see me in the hospital. They laughed with me. Mostly they cried with me. But what they did every day, every day except one when the highway was shut down was for 364 out of those 365 days, they showed up. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, man, and God is just saying to me like, Mark, I'm telling you again, like, it's going to be okay. I am with you. I have got you. Your family is going to be okay. And I'm going to be with you. And, you know, Heather just talks about how Melissa Helser does this teaching about, you know, sometimes family is hard and we have disagreements. We have hard things that we feel like we inherited or things that we have to tackle, but she says, look for the golden threads, those strands that are there in your family that you can pull from and focus on those. And I was just, really undone by this it was more like a like a like a thick golden rope than a strand really of just love and faithfulness and provision that I've inherited and people who will just show up and love and so yeah it's been on my heart a lot this year as God continues to remind me like you need to move past the fear of repeating something hard in life and just lean into me Mark and just not be afraid of intimacy with me and just trust me. And that whole theme again that we talked about in the last podcast, trust and don't quit. Trust and don't quit. Trust and don't Thanks for listening to the Hinge Work Podcast. Hinge Work is a creative co-working space in the heart of downtown Lancaster. Find out more at hingework.com.